everyone and a massive welcome to season seven episode four of the dedicate podcast i'm your host kate ivy i hope you're enjoying the season as much as i am it's such a privilege to have people share their stories the experiences that are so close to their heart and make them who they are today this episode is no different today on the dedicate podcast we have anna brand owner and founder of the woolly brand which is an infants and children's merino wool clothing company I met Anna at the Bendigo show last month. Like many popular rural brands, Anna successfully uses social media to tell her brand story, which then also leads to opportunities in media and collaboration. Today, Anna shares her story, which includes growing up during the millennial drought in Australia, which is said to be the worst drought recorded since European settlement, as well as her career in neonatal intensive care that she is extremely passionate about. Giving up her career for her family, antenatal anxiety, motherhood and business. Anna thought she hadn't been through many challenges, but as we dug deeper, it was clear that she has. This is a super interesting story that I'm sure you'll all love and relate to. Hi. Hello, how are you going? Great, thank you. How are you? Yeah, well, thank you. Very well. Good. What's happening today? Oh, just the circus of kids and, you know, (laughs) how it goes. They've had a big weekend, so they're a bit feral. You've been away at an expo, right? Yeah, we've had cheap mention. We, which is just local to us, it's about fifty minutes away in Hamilton. So that's um, it's great because it, um, you know, being able to come home every night. But uh, they're big days for the girls. Yeah, they are big days. I actually wanted to, to talk about this, so I might as well ask you a bit about it now that you do go away to a lot of shows. They're so tiring, aren't they? They are. They're. It's just. I think it's there's so much in the work up to them. You know, planning ahead, everything you're gonna need. Not just for yourself, but of course for the family and um, and you know all the stock and all that kind of thing, all the events. And then you know once you're there, there's the event and the effort that goes into and the energy into setting it all up, but also you know selling um, and you know being in that mind frame. And then of course the pack down and getting everything home and then unpacking. And so we're at that unpacking point at the moment where we've got a huge mess and you know, trying to get the world back in order and back into a rhythm and routine. Mm. And so you always all go, your whole family? Um, depends on where it is. So mostly we we all end up going and, you know, the girls might be there the whole time or they might sort of come and go depending on if we've got family or someone that can help look after them. Yeah. Yeah. How so old are they? Mean they're one and four and so they're quite full on. I mean, this time last year we were I was at uh, Sheep Venture and still – you know, Hattie was still a tiny baby and so I was still feeding her and, you know, trying to juggle it all. So this year's a little bit easier being both that little bit bigger. But, um, yeah, it's still a circus trying to keep uh, keep on top of things with little people. Yeah, well, you're doing an amazing job. It's hard work. Do your husband comes along with you as well? Yeah, sometimes, depending on what he's got going on. Um, but where he can, he does. And, you know, he came along to Bendigo Sheep Show with us recently um to the Australian Sheep and Wool Show and then yeah he came to Hamilton as well which is great because you know he um he's you know grown up and been a sheep farmer and he you know understands it and so it brings a really different tone to the whole event which is great but he also you know brings some muscles which is helpful you know getting a wool table in and out of different things that we bring so yeah. you know 
all the kits. So depending on whether he's coming or not is how much stuff I can take. Really. Yeah, yeah. How, how big the furniture I can take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I thought maybe it would go back to the earlier days before you set up the Woolly brand. You said to me over Instagram that um, one of the big things that you've experienced in your life was growing up in the millennial drought. I grew up on a mixed um, sheep, so merino and cropping farm in the Riverina in New South Wales. And um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm not sort of someone that's had great adversity. I don't have, haven't had some, you know, enormous challenge to overcome. But I guess there was this, you know, when you were asking, you know, what have I experienced and things like that. Mm. Um, it did sort of, the, the thing that comes to mind, and it's, you know, it was sort of more of a sort of a long-term you know, long burn um, event in our family's life. And that was the, the millennial drought. And um, for me, that meant every year I was away at school, um, in, for boarding school in high school, um, we were in drought. And so it, um, it gives a different tone to the way that you live, what you do, the way that you face things. You know, I remember being away and sort of you'd see other kids with, you know, the hot new outfit or, you know, some special new thing or going away somewhere and we'd be you know that wasn't the case for us but we were so lucky and you know I was able to take so many experiences away from it from you know our parents were able to keep four kids through boarding school we all rode horses we all played multiple instruments you know so we were all you know might be away at a cat draft one weekend or it might be a pony club event and you know and then the next week it would all be you know the um a big music event um, for schools, so um, or a you know a national choir where I'm, we might be away performing or something like that, and so you know the things that they had to do to allow us to continue, or they had to sacrifice for us to continue all those amazing pursuits, which you know wouldn't be easy. I now think, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'd love for the girls to both play multiple instruments, and we've started pony club, and I'm like, wow, it it's just brought a whole new lens on you know what they experience. Mm being able to give us those opportunities. So it, it's really changed the way I think about, you know, whether it's like the grit that's in, um, required, you know, when things get tough, you know, I know that there's always so much further or, you know, when something is going on for, you know, a little while and I'm getting frustrated or I'm getting, you know, upset over it, I think, wow, you know, that was for me, you know, that was over six years of um, a horrendous experience for my my parents and think okay now we probably can do this you know if they got yeah. through we can probably get through this all too so yeah that was sort of where that sort of thought of what my chat what the challenges are yeah no I love it so Sorry. can you tell us more about for those who maybe aren't in Australia or don't know aren't on farms even what a drought you know how did it look how did it affect everyone what is it you know yeah so for us um, at that time, so a drought is basically a prolonged period without rain, which means that if you're cropping, you know, you might not be able to sow crops because you, the soil is too dry um, and so that they won't germinate and grow. Or it might be that they've, um, you know, been sown on a, on a small shower of rain, you know, enough, just enough to get the plant germinating and then it, you know, can't continue to grow or, you know, you might get, so there are parts of droughts where you might get, you know, just enough rain to sort of get plants germinating and then, you know, just keeping along, but they're, you know, not at all coming to, you know, their full potential. Um, and then that in turn, when you've got stock, means, of course, if you can't grow crops, you're also not being able to grow grass, but you're also not going to be able to grow 
the grain that you might supplement the feeding of those sheep to produce that wool. And so, you know, it becomes this sort of snowball effect of, you know, one, you know, one grid, you might, you know, both streams of income with, um, with cropping and sheep that normally sort of go hand in hand, support each other are unable to do that. And so, you know, you're having to have many years on years on years where the crops aren't, you know, bringing in any money and they're also not producing any grain to feed the stock. So it's, um, you know, and then that's going to affect the quality of the woolen product that you might produce or the meat product, depending on the type of sheep that you're growing. And so, yeah, for us that, yeah, was right through my entire high school years. And, you know, we came out of that drought and mum and dad actually decided after 25 years of farming in the Riverina, they didn't want to go through that experience again. And so decided to sell up out there and um, bought a smaller cattle block in the Upper Murray and uh, where the rain, you know, they still do have droughts, but not at all on the scale that you do out further west and north and things like that. And so for them, that that made a huge change in terms of, you know, you know, the ident- your identity and, you know, that home that, you know, where you've always been. But for us, it sort of became really clear that home really is where you're favorite people are and you know the home that you make and so you know whilst that was a big change it um it was something that came out of the millennial drought and many 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 farmers and families then um you know have been back into a into horrendous drought since then and so you know it's a it's a hard hard tougher life having to try and manage both and you know in and out of those uh playing the gambling game of the weather of farming in australia Do you look back and um, realise now some of the things that your parents went through that you were sort yeah. of oblivious to? Yeah, absolutely. You know, they were really good at, um, well, well, they thought they were really good at, you know, that whole duck on the water thing and, you know, we just saw the duck and yet, the, you know, it was paddling underneath wildly. We definitely, I definitely took away those things of you might not be able to do something in say the flashiest way or you might not have the brand new piece of gear when you go somewhere but you know you might be able to go Mm -hmm. um or you know they'll put in a huge effort to make sure that you know we can be involved in something and so for us that meant all four kids having horses and and really good horses and um, being able to ride and compete in different horse events and yeah like I was saying before you know musical things yeah that was sort of something I really took away was just that you yeah, you might not, that, that holiday might not be to Europe. That holiday is a camping holiday, loading up the horse truck and going up into the mountains and camping with the horses and riding up in the bush, which to us is one of the best things we could do anyway. We absolutely love that. So, yeah, that's sort of something that I have learned and seen and really appreciate actually mm. having had that experience and watched that and knowing what's involved, but, you know, how good you can actually make things um, if you want to and that, it's a bit that, you know, that thing of what you could have doesn't always have to make, you know, you're not missing out if you can make your own fun and you can make your own life and, and make it's it beautiful. really worthwhile. Yeah. Really nice. Oh, yeah, I had some thoughts, you know, thinking about before we came on today about my parents, you know, being in a similar situation where I feel like, you know, I'm just wondering if you agree that that generation, I feel, seemed to be extra selfless. Yeah, they, I think so. Yeah. They, I think they had to go along when they were growing up they had to go along with whatever was happening 
and then I feel like as adults they're the ones that have sacrificed a lot more for their kids than previous generations I feel like they are a generation that you know they've all grown up with their parents who've experienced you know firsthand or you know directly the you know the great wars and you know from their families and Mm -hmm. so they're influenced by people who have really suffered and sacrificed and so that's just unbelievably drilled into them whereas we've been um you know there have been different things over the years but we've been remarkably sheltered from Mm -hmm. so many of those things by them and so yeah I feel like they've the things that they've experienced we've you know been entirely protected from and then you know it's just you know continuing on steroids of a uh, a world about yourself mm. rather than looking out around about others you know because of the internet you know the internet's mm. created this world of where you are you know completely inwards looking rather than outwards looking and so yeah i definitely agree that that, that those previous generate the previous generation and those before them um definitely was more about sort of looking out and supporting other people and you know what it took rather than the more recent generations just because of the way that technology has evolved yeah and I feel like we our generation we work really hard but it's all to have this lifestyle where you eat out a lot more like we hardly ever ate out as kids I think how much my kids have takeaways or we go out for dinner and stuff compared to what we had growing up and it's kind of like our generation we're trying to have it all yeah. And I mean, we're, you know, so unbelievably fortunate to be able to have it all, but it's mm. just, it is a really different way of living, you know, and it, for me, it's definitely changed the way I've approached, you know, even family, you know, with my family of where I've grown up in a family as a, one of four children, whereas sort of I, you know, it was a conscious decision for my husband and I to be like, nope, we're just going to have two children. Yeah. So, you know, we can maintain a certain lifestyle. Um, it's definitely a very different way of, um, of approaching life than we would have ever had, you know, when we were younger. For us growing up, that would have meant taking four children 100 kilometres to Griffith to go out for dinner and then, you know, 100 kilometres back. And yeah, and now taking children to restaurants and cafes, I'm like, holy dolly, you're never going to take four children to a cafe or a restaurant. <laughs> that would just be an absolute circus. <laughs> you're so right. Where do you live now? So we're based in the uh, Western Districts in Victoria. So that's right down in southwest Victoria in Australia. So we're about three hours um, west of Melbourne. We're not far from the coast. We're about 30 minutes north of Warrnambool. Um, so we're sort of halfway between Warrnambool and the base of the Grampians at Dunkeld. And so it's a it's an amazing place, but it's so different to, you know, where I grew up in the Riverina. Up there you really get four decided seasons, including those, you know, absolutely blindingly hot summers but really get the real autumn with the leaves falling and the beautiful days with the crisp nights and then through for frosty winter days but that come out beautifully and clear lovely spring days whereas down here I feel like we just um, get to enjoy winter for about nine months of the year <laughs> and then we might have the other three months in you know three months within that and a couple of hot days here and there spattered around so it's um it's a very different um climate to to live in and um to yeah I I really do miss those sort of decided seasons and the warmth of 
of um, things further north, which is funny for someone that's got a knitwear business that to love the warmth so much. But yeah. you know, it's breathable though. It's breathable. It is exactly. It's breathable. All of those kind of seasonal uh, benefits. Yeah. So growing up, did you? So sorry, are you on a farm? No, we live rurally. My husband. We had a farm at Dunkeld for a little while um, and my farm uh, husband has been a farm manager, but at the moment we're living rurally, but um, he has a trucking business. So he trucks grain and fertilizer and different soil conditioners and things like that at the moment. For us, we, my husband, neither my husband or I were lucky enough to, you know, inherit a farm. Um, my parents are still on their place and, um, you know, it just hasn't been on the, on the cards for us. So, you know, we, he had managed for some time and we bought a place and, um, we were lucky enough to actually use that, um, the sale of that place to then set up the Woolly brand and his trucking business, Brand Logistics. And, you know, we hope to get ourselves back to farming one day, but for now, um, yeah, we just live rurally. Um, nice. so we don't have to worry the... about droughts as much. No, Although your businesses well, both are affected by them because trucking, exactly. if there's nothing to truck, you haven't got a business. Exactly, exactly. That's right. So it's sort of um, the flow on effect um, greatly affects us. So, yeah, we're, we we get it, you know, secondhand, the effect of the seasons. And, um, you know, every day my husband's, uh, you know, thinking of ways that he can get himself back into farming and um you know, this year, you know, we've had some new truck things happening in the truck business with new drivers and new trucks coming. And then, you know, like all the delays in manufacturing, things taking some time. So he's been back doing some farm work in the meantime between different uh, trucks coming. And so, yeah, he's been able to dip in and out a little bit, which is nice. nice. And, uh, you know, the girls love that too, because it means that they get to do some cheap work and farm work and that kind of thing as well. But before that, you worked as a neonatal nurse yeah that's right so I um had, was always interested in babies and kids and and more specifically babies when I was little I, it was my cousin and I we were both those kids that always had dolls like wherever we went we had our dolls our prams our you know all those things we'd take them everywhere I went away to uni in northern New South Wales in Armadale and um, was lucky enough during a uh, general nursing prac out in Broken Hill to experience their special care nursery and you know in Broken Hill it's a tiny little nursery but it was enough to spark an interest because I'd always sort of thought oh I'll, I'll become a midwife my grandma and my um uh, my grandma and my aunts have been midwives I've got family and um, quite a number of family members who are doctors and I'd sort of been like oh right you know the path to you know to be yeah. able to work with babies will be as a midwife and then all of a sudden I was exposed to this uh, little tiny special care nursery and I was like there is a world that is just for tiny little people. And so that just lit a fire in me and being able to pursue it, pursue that area. So, um, yeah, I went and uh, initially started uh, working. Uh, I, so I started working in Wagga, Wagga Base, um, near where I grew up and um, worked in the little nursery there and then sort of went off to Sydney at the Royal Women's Hospital Royal Hospital, Royal Hospital for Women, started my uh, neonatal intensive care training there. And then, as often happens, my husband was um, moving to Victoria and I'd sort of done the commute from Sydney to Melbourne quite a bit. Um, was he in Sydney so, prior, sorry? 
was he in uh, he was in uh, in Armidale Uni Armidale. as well um and he'd sort of stayed on and and was up there another year after I left and so he um he was he was down in yeah Western Victoria where he'd uh, got a job yeah I yeah I sort of you know I've been doing this commute back and forth so much thought I better take it to Melbourne and so found myself working in a um, large specialty neonatal intensive care which is a surgical neonatal intensive care and so yeah continued um, my training and specializing in neonatal intensive care there it's an entirely different world if you haven't been exposed to it before you wouldn't know it exists but it's this um for those who have to you know be admitted it's you know it can be a uh, really, really sad or really horrendous place to have to be involved. But at the same time, it is the most uh, incredible space to work in and be part of because tiniest little people are the most resilient. They have just strength like you can never manage, imagine. I sort of almost feel like as you get older, you don't you get less resilience as a patient. You know, these tiny little babies, they, you know, they can be from 23 weeks premature. So, you know. I, the smallest baby I ever cared for was 380 grams. Wow. And that, it, you know, they're just the tiniest little people um, right through to we had, you know, cared for and looked after babies who had had different heart surgeries, different brain surgeries, different abdominal surgeries, you know, abdominal organs born on the outside that, you know, have to be put back in or, you know, abdominal organs that, um, you know, different defects means that they are born into the chest cavity, which means the lungs don't form correctly. And so you've got to move all the organs and basically um, ventilate, the, the, ventilate these lungs that are just so small. And so, yeah, it, it was a long way from the riverine and farming background. Yeah. Um, but it's this incredible world that is just so interesting. And the, where I come back to that idea of the these little people can be so resilient. One one day a baby can be with their mother and breastfeeding. You know, the next they've come down with a horrendous infection and that literally that next day they're on complete life support for two weeks means that we, you know, sometimes even have to um, induce a type of paralysis so we can literally control every part of their body to keep them living um, and to care for them and, uh, and give this, them the best opportunity to recover. Two, three weeks later, they are back with mum breastfeeding and at home and you've, they've gone through this unbelievable ordeal. And so, yeah, it's sort of, I just, I just love being able to be part of that process and the problem solving and the, um, and the adrenaline that comes with um, being in the neonatal intensive care. Um, I worked in, um, specialised in the unit um, and trained as a nurse practitioner, but I also uh, worked in our management team and sort of managing shifts that's a lot, but it's sort of one of those things that there is nowhere else that matches it in my mind. And, you know, if I could be there now, I de- I de- would love to be there. But um, uh, life has <laughs> taken a turn that I never foresaw coming, like, you know, so many people mm. um, have happened, which means that, you know, I'm not there doing it now. But, you know, the moment I can get back there doing it, I will. Yeah, I can feel your passion. It sounds amazing. So the 360-gram baby, did it survive? Yeah, they did actually. Despite, no, this one was some, they were, um, weren't a twin. But generally when, you know, you have premature babies, weight is a huge part of that. And their birth weight really sets their trajectory 
you know, and on life. And yet this little tiny, tiny baby had a few issues with sight. So when you ventilate babies, you're not just ventilating them um, with oxygen, you're actually uh, trying to do it with what we call room air. And so the amount of oxygen you add to room air, what we breathe, you know, what we breathe is 21% oxygen, whereas you can deliver pure oxygen, which is up to 100%. And so you titrate for little babies, but oxygen actually can damage the eyes of um, babies and uh, the retinas and so can can detach on premature babies. Um, And so that was an injury that this little um, baby got as a result of requiring ventilation for months Mm -hmm. was that she had some issues with her eyesight, but it didn't actually, she was able to have laser eye surgery once she got to term. So that's the age you would normally be born at gone home she'll have some issues with her lungs overlap you know she went home on some little nasal prong oxygen into her nose it's just a phenomenal thing because so many things can go wrong um, with premature babies because their you know their gut is unprepared to be in the outside world their lungs have to be ventilated for some or sometimes all of that time Um, and so there's a lot of trauma that occurs in the lungs that aren't are very immature um, you know the brain has uh, you know has to manage all the different pressures and changes that occur with ventilation and those things and so it, when you have a baby like that little little one that came through without any profound injury um, it's it was quite amazing mm. yeah and, it, and again it's just you know the things that so and it, it is that some babies just do phenomenally well and others you know, they, they take a different path. Um, but yeah, it's an, it's an amazing place to be. Yeah. It sounds absolutely fascinating because for us on the outside, we sort of think, oh, baby's born early, help it to survive, not realizing Mm. all the intricacies that go into it and all the different things that could be wrong. Like you're saying organs being the wrong place. I mean, I'm sure you've seen everything. Yeah. And it really gave me such a bubble view on, you know, babies when it came to having my own daughter's people would say oh don't worry about those things they don't really happen and I'd be like no but they do and they do happen to people and I see this every day you see the the worst of the worst occurring every day so it does definitely give you a different view on on the world and you know the way little people are born and I used to just marvel as I'd walk through the supermarket and someone would have like a beautiful chubby normal baby and I'm Mm. like it does happen. Yeah, it can I happen. Yeah, yeah. So did you have concerns for yourself when you had children, having been exposed to so much of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I had quite a severe case of antenatal anxiety um, during my pregnancy with my first daughter because of that ex- constant exposure. At the time, I was also um, covering the manager of our whole unit at the time. Um, I was doing my neonatal nurse practitioner training as well and exposed to all the things that people say, oh, it doesn't happen. Mm. And you'd you'd literally be like, no, no. They'd be like, oh, you know, birth traumas and, you know, events where babies get injured in birth, you know, that's so rare. And I'd be like, no, no, no. (laughs) Yesterday I I saw a baby come in that had had their ear removed accidentally during a delivery the day before I saw you know a baby cut from side to side from their from their belly button right down to their spine you know in a bathroom these things happen and you know or you know prem it's so you know unlikely and I'd be like yeah but it is and so that really got in my own head and it just made me 
feel like people would just fob you off and you'd be like, oh, no, it doesn't happen. You're like, yeah, but it does. Mm. It does. And I see this every day. And so I ended up, you know, needing quite a lot of support. And I was really fortunate to be supported by, I was, I had my first daughter at the Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne and they have an amazing perinatal and um, mental health team down there that was able to sort of help me through managing that through looking at who was part of my care team and um, for having my baby, but also managing my mental uh, capacity sort of through this whole process and coping with it all and setting good strategies in place to, to manage it all on, along the way. And, you know, as it turned out, when my first daughter was born within a, a couple of hours, she had to be whisked off to the NICU because she had a, um, a heart thing happen. And so, you know, all those cases of people saying, do you things just don't happen, Anna? Mm. And, you know, they, still, they do. But it, the funny thing that actually came from it is, you know, I had all this anxiety and stress through my first pregnancy, yet she was born and she went off to the NICU and, you know, I've had myself, you know, oh, yeah, okay, cool. We've suddenly gone into a space that I knew mm. and I was like, yeah, this is fine now which is completely bizarre. Someone else, that would be their point of falling apart. Whereas for me, it was like, oh, this is my normal space. This is, you know, what I understand this is what I know best. And so two hours after um, having her sort of, yeah, I walked into the treatment room where they were treating her before she'd even been allocated her ICU bed space. And, um, you know, it was like, right, where are the bloods? Where's the results? Mm-hmm. And I was wanting to look at those things. And I was like, okay, right. Now I know my space. And, and you know, that that was what maybe, okay. And I, we, we've sort of, I was able to cope. And it didn't evolve into a any challenges post having her because I'd sort of felt like I had gone into, you know, coming to my own of, you know, what I knew, mm-hmm. knew best. Whereas, yeah, during pregnancy and, you know, so many different people will agree that when you're pregnant, especially as, the type of person who really liked to control your environment and your situation and what's going on, having to give up that control, you know, your body takes over and grows as human and it's like you've got no control over that and then you're part of a, a system to have a baby and it's very different. And, and so, yeah, it's it's a lot. And I really feel like over the years since I've had my two daughters, that real process of matrescence has just, been quite profound because you know there are so many things that are out of your control and there are so many things that change physically emotionally psychologically as you you have kids and you know where you are and where you go um, the way you think about things just entirely changes you know I was utterly convinced that within a couple of months of having my first daughter Elizabeth I would be back in Melbourne and working and 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 I was just leading up right up to her delivery. You know, even in the weeks after she was born, I was back down in Melbourne and with this tiny newborn. I was graduating from my nurse practitioner training. And I was like, yep, yep, I'm coming back down. You know, I'll make this work with my baby. You know, my husband, you know, they're three hours from Melbourne, but we'll make it work. And then, of course, you know, life evolves and happens and, that was not the path we were take on. I suddenly was, we don't have family around us. Both our families uh, live interstate. And so that was going to mean for us that, you know, she was going to be raised full-time by nannies for me to be able to be in Melbourne, sometimes six, seven days a week, and to, to be working at the level and the training I was at. 
and that wasn't the the parent I wanted to be to my child and so yeah it meant that I'd be a huge shift had you know had to be had you know for my family for for the way that we wanted to parent so yeah it's right back from mental health challenges it really set up a cascade of effects that that from the moment you conceive right through that yeah life yeah, goes in a very different direction mm. and how was the process for you transitioning and accepting that that change in direction oh look it was really hard yeah um because you know as you probably can tell I was really really loved what I was doing when I was studying I would have kept going back you know I had a plan for my PhD I was just so um, in love with the work and the specialty of what I was doing Um, and so to then be confronted by the realization that for me to parent in the way that I wanted to parent um, and to be engaged with her in the way that I wanted to be um, and around with my husband that things were really going to change. And so it was, whilst I was on maternity leave, I feel like it was a it was a slow grieving process for the person that I was. Once I, you know, I realised that I probably happened in the background, I realised that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to go back to it. And, you know, I wasn't accepting it, wasn't accepting it. But, you know, slowly over a period of um, my maternity leave that I, you know, a year or so, realised that that wasn't, the way that we wanted to go and so yeah it was really tough and even now like I look back and am sad that you know things have gone in a direction that they you know I worked so hard for especially as I'm the kind of person that you know once I got married I wasn't leaving my city job to come and be full-time out at the farm with my husband it was really important that I maintained my career he maintained his and for us that meant I um was away a couple of little days a week every week working in the city so I could do my thing and you know on days off I would be out at the farm I found that you know if I did permanent night shifts I could really make the roster work that I could you know get the weekends with with my husband you know for, to getting the fix right so then to then get to the point where I mean like we've made this sort of work for so many years mm. and yet it still wasn't enough when the time came to having kids. And so um, it took a long time to accept. And I've now sort of come to, to realise that I will get back there. Mm. It's just something, the time and the space that we're living in, um, now it's little people land and that means all being together out in Western Victoria and that we're leaning into my husband's, um, business at the moment and we you know and what was at the farm that we had I'll be able to lean back into my career in nursing and in neonatal intensive care down the track um, but yeah it's it's always it's always there mm. um, but it did mean that I then sort of turned my mind to well you know what can I be doing and what are the things that I love and um, and that sort of um and what's going to stimulate me because I was so driven by the pace um of a tertiary neonatal intensive care which you know when you're managing the place you've got you're managing the patient flow the patients that come in and out of a neonatal intensive care and that's a sort of place where bed spaces 
aren't just available, you know, someone goes out of one to come into another. So that's a big part of it, you know, managing all the staff, what's happening in the unit at any one time. You know, we might have our patients were often too unstable to go to the operating theatres to have their theater, um, their operations. So often that would happen in our unit. And so we, you know, would have an operation happening in this room and then next door there might be a resuscitation happening at somewhere else. They might have something. And so being able to sort of uh, be managing all of that and, you know, thinking on that level was something that to be able to match that mm. at home was a huge thing. And so um, thus I sort of decided to throw myself headfirst into something I've never ever done with no training whatsoever <laughs> and you know learn a whole new thing um was something that um has fitted in but it's also been something that's been really stimulating so yeah, yeah. thus I've ended up where I am now yeah it's, it's fabulous I'm sure there's so many women just nodding right now can completely yeah. relate to sacrificing a lot to move to the country to live mm. rurally and it's awesome that you've found something to to fill that gap for now um but I can yeah. really feel that passion for the neonatal stuff so I'm excited for you in future years to come when you get to get back to it yeah and it's great and it, it's been really, a really great thing to be able to then weave that into the work that I'm doing now with the Willie Rand and you know because there I do have so much knowledge and experience around caring for babies and little tiny people and little children and so you know when I do talk about something I like to come to to it and approach it with you know all the science and evidence that I would do anything else you know when I'm working with babies and so um they've been I've been able to marry the two a little bit so far um I would like love to do do that more um be able to bring the two two together but yeah it has influenced then you know if, whether it's me sort of having you know doing a post or a series of posts about you know temperature regulation or something mm -hmm. um you know that's that's coming from a place of you know deep understanding and trying to convey the benefits that we know from you know wool to being able to um help families to make life with their little people easier mm -hmm. yeah Tell us how the Woolly brand got started, how the idea came up and where you went to, you know, the initial stages of getting it off the ground. Yeah, so, you know, all through my childhood and did a family, my uh, mum's family, they're always sheep farmers. And so there were always, you know, knitted goods around the home and, you know, we're always wearing hand knits, whether it was in a shearing shirt or off to a, the next wedding, you know, a new cardigan would be knitted with, beautiful embroidery or something like that done on it um, for a wedding and and so it was sort of always a core part of of who I was and we were merino farmers growing up and so um, there was always that awareness of the benefits of merino wool versus other fibres out there and so then you know when the time came that I had Elizabeth my first daughter I was lucky enough that not only did I inherit beautiful knitwear pieces from um the family but my mother-in-law is also a very skilled knitter and you know she, 
Elizabeth was dressed in beautiful knitted lace shawls and cardigans and beanies and she'd always have beautiful matching sets and all kinds of things. And wherever we would go, people were always just so interested and often say, you know, oh, my grandma used to knit for us, but, you know, we don't have a knitting granny anymore or, you know, oh, we, you know, we used to love having pieces like that when we were little, but, you know, it's so hard to find you know, really good quality merino knitwear these days um, for little people. And um, this sort of idea started growing in my mind. And this would, you know, every time I would go out, this would happen. Um, And so one day, you know, and and the other thing was the fact that we lived in Western District in Victoria, you know, we literally put woolies in our beach bag. So, you know, wherever we go, it's always cold. And even on a hot day when the when weather turns, you go from 40 degrees to 14 in a matter of an hour. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, we're always got these things with us. And so this one occasion, we were having a beach holiday just nearby home, but just down in Port Ferry. And that did happen. We What we all joked was we had our three days of summer of 40 degrees Mm -hmm. and all down on the beach and um and then the cool change came through and we were off for a walk in Port Ferry we'd sort of decided to go out for a walk out to the lighthouse for something to do seeing as we couldn't swim because it was so cold and um we grabbed a coffee at the local uh coffee shop on the way down there and someone commented again on my daughter's um knitwear and as we walked towards the lighthouse my husband and I were talking about it you know wouldn't it be great to be able to make our own pieces and you know bring together the benefits of merino wool with you know the experience of having grown up on a merino farm as well as you know experience growing up with beautiful knitted pieces and um and then with the awareness of what little people really need we literally rounded the lighthouse and my husband sort of turned to me he said he was just like well why don't you do it? Yeah. Like you're trying to work out what to do. You don't want to just, you, you know, you're, you're not wanting to just do casual work locally. That doesn't feel like enough. You're going to be bored batty pretty quickly. Um, why don't you give it a try? And I was like, oh, no, I can't do that. <laughs> no, 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 don't be ridiculous. And he was like, well, why not? And I was like, I don't know. Let's do it. <laughs> and so... Um, <laughs> That, uh, yeah, next minute was then just working out what to do, how to do, because as it turns out, I had three different degrees in uh, neonatal intensive care, yet um, it didn't set me up at all for business or (laughs) um, fashion design or knitwear design. So there was um, quite a lot to sort of go into being able to um, reframe the way that I was going and, you know, start this business. And that was a ridiculous process to sort of think, so like, where do you even start? Mm. But I had a, an amazing friend who had um, worked in the fashion industry. She'd started her own boutique and she, I just got in touch with her and was like, what do I do? Where do I start? And, and so she then put me on to a couple of um, women in the industry and it just all started rolling from there. You know, the generosity of different people uh, has been amazing. And I always felt this, and it, it's probably always come through from my uh, work in healthcare, which is that when you don't know, you go find someone who, do, who does, mm. you find the information that you need, and then you got, you don't, you know, just 
um don't stop do you look something up you don't yeah. it doesn't make you stop in it that you, you wouldn't just google something you know you find the people and so you get the information and the evidence and whatever it is and the people and you bring them together and you really learn what it is that you need to do and so I was really really fortunate to be able to be put in touch with um Penny Ashby from Lady Kate Knitwear and she was so generous and continues to be so generous with her knowledge and her um, knowledge from, you know, her her childhood um, in the merino industry and then her many years of um, developing Lady Kate Newwear. And so, you know, that right through from, you know, how do I even start to design a tech pack, which is the information um, package of, that you take send to a manufacturer, right through to where am I going to manufacture, how do I manufacture, the packaging, the delivery, the, you know, every part of the process. Um, and so the ball was really set rolling and it was a process of, you know, find the right people who can help find um, the right information and um, just give it a go. And how long was the time from when you walked around that lighthouse to when you actually launched the business? Uh, so... That would have ended up being about 14 months. Um, we had a bit of a delay because, you know, that was one of the things is uh, when we decided to do this, this was halfway through COVID, was yeah. when we decided to start it. And, you know, the things that I thought I was going to do in a certain time frame once I started versus things like when we decided to get delivery um, of our stock to come through, you know, things like Ukraine had happened, covid fuel prices, all kinds of things that sort of happened and, and it gave us a bit of a delay. So we ended up la officially launching in June, but it was sort of Feb from the um, previous February um, the year before. Uh, so, yeah, just over a year. But, um, you know, you can never be quite prepared. You can never have enough, but you've just got to give it a go and jump in at some point. And, and we started with a really small range. We just started with three products in um, three sizes, and uh, slowly, slowly growing from there, um, learning, you know, along the way, what works, what doesn't, what people, what you think is going to go well, what's not. Um, and yeah. And then, you know, being at the mercy of the wider system, whether that's, you know, getting yarn to them and to the knitters, to getting the things made, to getting, trying to get them to Australia um because we, i uh knit have my knitting done overseas yet um you know then finding things arriving and it's totally different to what you think you're going to ha have and having to you know you know go back to square one and yeah it's it's all been a lot but um it's been a very steep learning curve in a very different direction but I'm sure you were, you would have been in crisis moments so often in your neonatal nursing that, you know, has that set you up for these times now in business where, you know, it feels like things aren't going the way you want them to? Yeah, absolutely. And it really is a thing that um, the idea of problem-solving um, any situ which situation, whether that's, um, you know, for previously in a previous, you know, like that might have been really hot adrenaline moment of a resuscitation and, you know, how are we going to manage it right through to other things that are going in, in intensive care right through to now. It's like, okay, 
this hasn't worked. How are we going to pivot, shift, change? What's the best information out there that we can use? That was a huge part of um, working in the healthcare industry is always being abreast of the latest evidence, the latest science and implementing that. And so being able to sort of consider what am I doing when I'm producing knitwear, that means that we are doing um, and giving the best information. So, you know, being able to do all the research and make sure that what I'm doing is correct and that it's, um, you know, in line with um, the latest evidence out there, that kind of thing. And so there's been been lots of times and right through to when you're managing an in intensive care, there's a huge part of logistics in that from the patient movement, the staff that are required to care for them because you might have 30 patients and um, all on ventilators and next minute you've got to have those different patients have different varying levels of complexities and so that requires different people with different skill sets to look after them and so, you know, that is constantly changing. So being able to meet their need, equipment, all those kinds of things, plus patients coming in and out of the unit, um, you know, things, things constantly changing. So that was that really that ability to just adapt to whatever is going on and the ever-changing environment that is a hospital and sort of being able to think about that in business. And, you know, business is ever-changing. There's always something that's going wrong. There's always something that's not quite working. You know, what can we do to change that, fix that, make that better? It might not be at that same critical pace, but it's, you know, you're always having to yeah, really sort of move and consider consider your next move as to what you do and things like that. And things might not work out and sort of what do I do and how do I fix it? And mm-hmm. yeah, so de- there's definitely been sort of the broad principles that you sort of put in place um, do, do transfer. And so that's been a, um, a really interesting thing to sort of, but you just to learn and be part of in a, in a different way. Yeah. And I find the fashion industry fascinating from a business perspective and you have to be running so far ahead. Do you wholesale, especially if yeah. you wholesale, do you wholesale? You have to, you know, get things out a year before they go to on sale. Yeah. So at the moment I'm, I've only got a very small range of products that I wholesale and it's um, I have it. I have the stock for that. Um, but I am wanting to get ourselves into wholesale over the long term. And so, you know, I've got designs ready for sort of down the track. But it is, it's such a thing of having to work so far in advance and sort of what are people going to want what, and then what you think is going, going to go really well doesn't or is sort of at certain times of the year. And, you know, as a business that's still so young, I'm, I'm still fi- already finding, oh, this is working well at this time of year, but it doesn't work at another time of year. Mm. Whereas something else that might not work well initially and you're like, damn, I won't order that again. And then at another time of year, it just goes gangbusters and you're just being able to learn, the, you know, the flow of what works and when has been something that, um, you know, I'm, because, I've, you know, we're still such an infant, pardon mm. the pun, of a business. Um, that's that I'm still sort of working out those flows and things like that. But I definitely want to get our business to a place where we can really wholesale and, and grow and get our knitwear, uh, knitwear out to a, uh, a wider audience. But, um, yeah, all slowly, slowly. And I was sort of going at a pace um, up until recently that was just unsustainable. And I'd sort of had planned to have a huge range available for wholesale Um, for this current buying for next winter which is all happening right now and it just all got too much and 
I'd bitten off more than I could chew. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to run myself into the ground. And, you know, this is, I'm not going to be able to maintain this. So I've slowed down, taken a few, dropped a few hats and things like that. But it's actually been really worthwhile because it just means, okay, we're just focusing on what we're doing. I feel like what I call our knitwear harvest. We've been in harvest for knitwear for like six months now and it's pretty tiring and so it's actually nice to have sort of taken the weight of being like right we're not going to do a massive wholesale range for next year we'll just sort of keep poking along at what we're doing and um work on maybe the following year to have a big range for wholesale you know quite possibly you know if that's the direction that we go in but yeah there are so many things like that but you know you're just working so far in advance and you're also you know kind of you know, trying to work through what you've got at the time as well. So, and I mean, I once you design those next sorts of things, all I want is to have them now. Yeah. Like, I just want all those designs and I want to get them to sell them. All. So I'm like, I want that. That's what I want. Because when I design things, when I design our knitwear, I, it's all about what I would want for my girls. And, and so, you know, I'm not as much, I'm not into following trends or things like that with um, our knitwear. It's all about sort of, longevity and you know pieces that you can you know hand down that you know don't go in and out of fashion um but yeah I definitely want those next pieces to be able to have for everyone I bet and then you're probably sick of them when they arrive because you wanted them so long ago yeah 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 exactly I'm like ah come on I really came for that next thing Yeah. yeah so do you ever feel with this business that you talked earlier about giving up neonatal nursing um, to be the parent that you want to be. Do you ever have times when you feel like the business is taking a lot from you and it jeopardizes that? Oh, absolutely. And I feel like on one hand, being able to start the business, I'm at home with my girls all the time. You know, they go to and from kinder and daycare and things like that. But I'm home with them all the time. But some there's been many days where literally in the weeks after I had my second daughter, Harriet, I hadn't yet launched the business and I was working immediately ready for the launch of the business this right through to, you know, she was only you know, six months old when we launched and that meant either having her in a, a rocker next to me as I worked or saying to Elizabeth, my older daughter, saying, you know, no, sorry, I can't read that now. I can't read that same book 10 times. I'll read it once, but then yeah. you have to go and, you know, do something because I've got work to do. Or, you know, mm-hmm. even this morning, we've had a big few days with uh, Sheepvention in Hamilton. And so I've been away from the girls. And so they're really sort of wanting me around with them. And I was like, no, look, I've got a meeting now. Or, you know, the podcast is mm-hmm. I've got to do that now. You know, you're going to have to go and do something else while I get this done. And so there's always that thing of sort of feeling like you're half in, half out. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, there's always a ball that's being dropped. It's just sort of which one. Mm. And it was really poignant timing because I, I really, yesterday was really feeling like I was like, oh, dropping the ball with the girls and things at home, things business-wise, you know, coming off the back of Bendigo and Cheap Engine are just going so well. And I just feel like we're really, our customers were really loving buying their knitwear. We'd really found what people wanted. And yet, you know, it felt like I wasn't, you know, there for the girls. And a few weeks ago, I'd forgotten I'd done it. I'd ordered a new book online and it arrived yesterday afternoon when I was feeling really crappy about it all. And um, it's called There Are Parents Way Worse Than You. And it's this book. Um, 
it's a picture book for parents and it starts with a um a giraffe and it, it says oh look you know there are parents out there that are way worse than you don't worry you know a giraffe mum when you know has her baby she kicks it until it gets up <laughs> you know her newborn calf she's like there it turns out you're <laughs> doing like, okay mm-hmm. there are parents that are way worse than you and I was like oh yeah Look, okay, Love we're doing it. all right. I haven't <laughs> yeah. kicked my children to get them up and going, so I think we're doing okay. So, yeah, it's um, but I mean, everyone's juggling things that all the time, and it's just sort of you've got to lean into certain things. And I was lucky enough to have some family come and stay to be able to help us to get through those events with the girls, which isn't normal for us to have family around to be able to do that. So you know, that's been a lovely thing. So, yeah, we just do what we can, don't we? to get by sure do and it, like you say it is a constant juggle and you know when one ball slips another one goes up and then you bring another one up another yeah. one slips it's just um yeah I guess being um learning as you go um how to get that balance and what sort of things you need to put in place to get that balance um but also learning not to be so hard on yourself as well exactly and it sort of it really has been a great thing of you know it's a those we've had a potty land these last few weeks for my daughters and um for whatever reason she hopped off her hot water bottle yesterday you know overnight the previous night and she's been great she's you know been thri- utterly thriving this little merino potty land but they were loving raising and um you know for whatever reason she hopped off her hot water bottle and got cold and and passed away and it was a hard life lesson for the girls you know their first one um, having to learn about that but it's sort of it's like we're all being hit with life lessons all the time it's like whether it's you know you which ball are you holding up you know you're managing one thing and you've got to cope with that or you know you're helping your kids to manage something that they're going through or and um, it was it was very sweet my um, daughter were you know helping her get through her little grief of having lost her potty lab she um she did say to me mom mom did you wait did you bury her? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I buried her. And she's like, did you, did you make sure she was warm? And I was like, yep, yep, I made sure she was warm. She was like, and did you make sure that the foxes and koalas can't get to her? <laughs> and I was like, yes, yep, I made sure those koalas couldn't get to her. <laughs> yeah. But it was, yeah, it's like it's always something. Just when you're um, pulling your hair out business-wise, something's going terribly wrong. Um, the girls are great for a, a levelling moment of reality. Um, so that's, you know, I'm lucky in that way, but, um, things, you know, have worked out well on that front. Yeah. Well done. And you're doing a really good job with your social media and media to get your brand going. Has that been challenging? Yeah, it has. It has. Um, I was really lucky early on when I started the business, I had some great help, um, from a friend who had been starting a marketing business. And so she taught me the ropes on sort of initially what to do and so I sort of took over that um, after a couple of months after our launch and um, you know it's all a trial and error um, and I'm a bit of a squeaky door when it comes to you know PR and marketing and I just you know don't really follow the rules and that's you know so far sometimes has worked out really well for us and so yeah just trying things I don't we don't you know, we don't have a PR agent we don't have marketing agents and things like that but I just try and get in touch with people and get and find out how to do things and and learn what to do and 
and then yeah just giving it a go so we've been really lucky this year so we've had some really wonderful features um we were invited to be part of advertising campaign with um, British Vogue we've had Country Style magazine approach us and we did an article with them we did an article with Grazy Hair and we've got some more exciting things on the way with Rural Women's Day with their magazine and so yeah we've got some really great things in the pipelines and so it's really exciting seeing you know our business grow um and it's been lovely with you know social media early on I had before I launched the business um my sister has a um she's a musician and has a um, a band and so she was sort of helping with get the idea of what I might need to do marketing wise and I was like no the the marketing side I'm not interested in at all like I don't want to do that I don't want my face on it you know I'm not in I'm not into being a show pony like that's that's just not my thing and um you know I really like the design I like the back end stuff of it all well as it's turned out it's actually the absolute opposite like the back end side of like the nitty gritty of design and things like that and manufacturing I really don't like um and so it's been a matter of like find people that can help me with that and then the marketing side I've sort of entirely just do it myself and actually really love and you know you you get a very unpolished um view of the woolly brand if you know you follow along on social media it's definitely not all um curated stories and videos and reels and things like that it's uh rough and ready and you know the real reality of what life with little people is like and trying to um you know fit business and knitwear and all those kinds of things into it so it's it's all pretty raw and rough but it's um it is what it is yeah I wouldn't say rough I think it's what um what people want to see real life isn't it yeah and it's that thing where I guess it really it helps to communicate that what we're trying to do is we're not trying to be something that's in a glossy magazine that isn't um, approachable or, you know, you couldn't see yourself and your little ones in. We are just a normal family, and, you know, making something. And, yes, we have had some beautiful features in some really, really uh, beautiful magazines, ones that, you know, I just to peruse, you look through a uh, country style magazine that mum would have on the counter at home as kids and just be like oh one day mm. wouldn't this be the most amazing thing so it was this unbelievable moment to sort of find myself you know in the pages of um of those beautiful magazines but it's um yeah we're still just no makeup up the paddock feeding animals you know in the garden wherever we are sometimes a little bit of makeup if we you know go to an event or something yeah, like that can brush, we so. can brush, <laughs> no, we brush ourselves up but yeah it's definitely um, a not a glossy a glossy um show coming from us that's for sure but um yeah we uh we're just the normal family well I think that's what everybody loves it's really cool to see and yeah really awesome to learn more about you today and um you said that you hadn't been through challenges and then little did you realize you have um antenatal anxiety challenges of letting go of your career to move to the country becoming a mother so many yeah there are so many things and it's that interesting thing where you know no one sort of thinks of their own experiences sort of being some great challenge you know it might have happened over a long period of time you know I haven't had some great terrible adversity of some awful event but you know there are different things that you're you know 
everyone's always got something that they're mm. overcoming to sort of be where they are, you know, whether it's career, kids, you know, or business and life mm. and things like that. So, yeah, we're for, as it turns out, there's, there's a little bit more of it when you scratch yeah. the surface. It's really fascinating to hear. I've just got um, 10 questions. All right, do you exercise? I do. And I um, found it really hard. When I had, after I had my first daughter, um, I used to try and do exercise when she was having her day naps and that worked well. You know, that was a time where I could sort of, you know, depending on the nap, it might be a long or short or it might be out in the pram, you know, through the farm, in the carrier, that kind of thing. And then when I had two children and a business, the business became the priority for instead of exercise. And I would sort of, I really found it really hard. I was like, you know, any minute that they're sleeping or they're not literally having to be breastfed or feeding them, caring for them, doing something, I've got 30 seconds, I need to be working. And so I really struggled for quite a time after I had my second daughter, Harriet. And um, and then I just suddenly one day was like, you know, the girls were in bed, my husband had gone to bed, it was 11 o'clock at night, 11.30 something, and I'd just finished doing some work and I'd had a shower and I was like, oh, I just wish I could do some exercise. And I had this light bulb moment, I was like, now Mm. nothing is going to stop me right now and so I've sort of built into my life now that yeah late at night is when I do yoga mostly um because I do find the only thing I'm gonna get your headspace for being able to do yoga and relax and things like that and you know really focus on it um I, I can find hard and so yeah it's um it's late at night you know once the house is quiet you know, most of the lights are out and it's dark. And, um, yeah, that's when I, I do my exercise as well as like, you know, chasing after kids on, on bikes <laughs> and ponies and, you know, <laughs> running around at pony club, you know, leading a toddler on the Shetland as well as all of that. But yeah, dedicated exercise time is something I do. Yeah. Really awesome. late at night now. Some people do hit or weights at that time of night, but not many, but yoga is a great thing to unwind and strengthen your body, but be sort of ready for bed and unwind after you know your busy life so it's awesome yeah exactly exactly and so and I, I like not having a really strict formal thing I've got to do at a certain time because you know headspace wise today I sort of feel like doing this or something really a bit slow or other days I'm like I write a really a really hard long program or something like that and so yeah I really like being able to just sort of adapt and change and and then other days not do anything perfect <laughs> what do you do for time off what do I do for time off? Chase my children. No, well, I probably, and it's become something for my girls, but um, we, yeah, we do pony club. I grew up riding horses and so that was sort of something. So it's sort of, it's for them, but I love yeah. doing it and sort of being there myself. And I also love to garden. And so for me, that's, you know, and that's always something that's great with little kids um, is, it, you know, they can be playing in the garden and doing things or learning with me. And, you know, we can be pottering the veggie patch or pruning the roses and, you know, the menagerie of animals and children can all come along and just potter around the garden with me. So, yeah, I really love doing that. I'm not very skilled, but I just, yeah, I really love being able to get out and, and do that. So, yeah, it's probably, they're the, probably the two things we do to sort of get away. Is sort of, nice. Yeah. So wholesome. Yeah. <laughs> what is a childhood memory that stands out to you? When we, um, the first one that literally comes to mind is, for many years, my parents um, leased some country. So we were uh, sort of up um, dryland cropping and, and sheep farming up 
um, between Griffith and West Wyland. For a m- m- number of years, my parents leased all the um, state parks along the Murrumbidgee River um, between Leeton and Narandra. And so we had cattle down there. And so for us, that meant, you know, doing cattle work, we'd take the horse truck down there and we'd camp and we'd, you know, do the cattle work all morning. And then we'd swim our horses in the river all afternoon. And so for us, it was, you know, a strong memory for me is sort of, yeah, often doing, you know, often our family things were always, you know, around horses or, you know, things like that. And so, yeah, swimming the horses in the river is something that immediately comes to mind. Nice. Your go-to breakfast? Cup of tea. I (laughs) cannot start my day without tea. And so, yeah, that's what I'll always go to um, to start my day. Coffee comes later. Yeah. Um, and have to go there, but can't stop, start the day without a pot of tea. Favourite fast food or takeaway? Oh, I'm not a big takeaway person. And it's also there's not many takeaway places around here. Yeah, I, like I, I don't, I, yeah, I'm not really, yeah, not much. <laughs> <laughs> Favourite item of clothing right now? I've just bought a new jumper from McIntyre Merino and it's this beautiful fine a uh, really soft jumper and it's sort of feeling fresh and new and so I'm just yeah loving that it's like nice and sort of cropped and short and so it's sort of I'm sort of coming out of my baby years where you want everything sort of down around your hips and your bottom because <laughs> yeah. sort of, your body's constantly changing to sort of feeling come out of that time you know my second daughter's almost two and I'm sort of yeah I've got back into exercise and I'm feeling good about myself and so yeah Oh, yeah. A nice feeling. A nice, nice new style of, of jumper. Love it. Podcast recommendations? I absolutely love and religiously every week listen to uh, Mamma Mia Out Loud. I just, I love listening to I mean, the different, you know, voices and different, you know, tones on what's going on for women around the place. Um, so, yeah, that's my sort of one of my go-tos every week. Awesome. Yeah. Favourite city in the world? London. Cool. I yeah just have you I lived just there or London. visited yeah I I live just out of London in my gap year and then I've gone back many times and um, and so where we lived we could get on a fast train and be in the center of London within 20 minutes and so yeah I just love it I love this the city buildings you know um the all the food and the culture and the feel of yeah London it's just love it I could would love to go back there every day favorite season I think I can answer this summer yeah yeah so for someone that just has knitwear yeah I just love summer and you know and for that would be you know being able to be swimming and you know riding horses in the river yeah nice last one what are you up to this weekend this weekend I think we're going to take it slow we're um we've been so frantic with last weekend with um, Sheep Benchen and we're going to go away the following week um, to have a bit of a break and go and get some some warmth um, away from the dreary winter weather. So this weekend I think it'll be stay home, potter around the garden, get the ponies out, you know, just have a nice quiet time. Yeah. Nice. And what I love about that is you think think back to your childhood memory you'll be probably thinking the week after is going to be making memories but actually you'll be making memories this weekend exactly thank you so much for your time Anna so great to get to know you and it was lovely to meet you in Bendigo as well yeah it was so lovely to meet you in person too and uh, lovely to see you again so soon yeah thanks so much for sharing everything and yeah for your time away from the kids and from your business 
Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, it was a it was a delight to have a little bit of time. I mean, you find me in one of my many stock rooms. Um, I'm hiding away in the bedroom right now yeah. um, to get away from all the noise. But as you can see, there are many types of stock that even are in here. It's just taken over our world. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Oh, you're doing an amazing job. Thanks so much, Anna. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to the Dedicate podcast. Now, some of you may have noticed a change in style. Instead of asking lots of questions throughout the podcast and regularly adding in my thoughts, I'm trying to sit back, letting my guests tell their story. It's new for me, so it's taking a bit of adjusting, but I'm proud to be getting out of my comfort zone and trying things to make the experience as best as possible for our listeners. If you've got some feedback, please send me a DM via Insta or Facebook. Thanks again for listening and to Anna for sharing her story. Dedicate is the Trans-Tasman online health and fitness community and app for rural and regional women, mums and those that love a down-to-earth approach to fitness. It's a community of over 2,200 women and a few men all doing our best to prioritise exercise for the many physical and mental benefits. Join us with your seven-day free trial if you're not already a member at kateivyfitness.com. Thanks again, everybody. Catch you next time.